Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for tuning in here with me today. It is Thursday, April the 9th. I have a good show lined up here for you today. In the back half, I'll be joined by BC Health Minister Adrian Dix. We'll be talking about how critical this long weekend is to making sure that we continue to have a flattened curve in BC with the province averaging between 40 and 50 cases a day over the past couple of weeks. Those are numbers that health officials, I believe, would like to see maintained. And in my opinion, this could be a potentially scary weekend weekend in the sense that many are wanting to get together with family, explore the outdoors, enjoy the nice weather. As we are looking at, you know, at a high of 20 today here in Kamloops, it's going to be tough for people to just sit around their homes. But of course, it's something we need to do to make sure we do our part. So Minister Dix will be coming up at around the 35-minute mark to talk a little bit about that. At the end of the show, I'll be speaking with TRU's VP of Finance to talk about what the university is seeing when it comes to budgeting during COVID-19. And in a few minutes, we're also expected to hear from BC Finance Minister Carol James, who will be speaking about job numbers here in the province. But to begin today's show, I am joined on the line by Parliamentary Secretary for Gender Equity, Mitzi Dean. Mitzi, thanks so much for taking the time. Good morning, Jeff. So yesterday you had put out the message, you know, that the province is taking steps to support women and children experiencing violence during the COVID-19 pandemic. So I wanted to start just by asking, you know, how unique the situation is when talking about these domestic issues. I mean, people are stuck at home. Obviously, these domestic issues exist, whether we're, you know, isolated or not. But I would almost think things like this would almost have a bit of a heightened awareness during a time of a pandemic. Yeah, we need to make sure that there is increased awareness because we know that there is a risk in a crisis of violence and interpersonal violence, gender-based violence actually increasing during times of crisis. So we have created over 900 spaces across the province uh, to make sure that anybody who needs safety is able to get safety for themselves and for their family as well. Yeah, so so what do those spaces look like when talking about 900 spaces available? Um, you know, obviously we're trying to get people out of these current situations that they're in where they might be isolated with an individual that they probably should not be anymore. And of course, we're still trying to get away from that situation but still trying to maintain some form of physical distancing so how do these spaces look exactly at this time yeah exactly well most of them are in in hotels and we can actually create a whole hotel that's available just for women who have been experiencing gender-based violence for example and they'll be supported by the sector i want to thank the sector uh transition houses um services supporting people experiencing domestic violence, people responding to sexual assaults, because they've all stepped up, they've all made the transition to make sure their services are available to people across the whole of the province who are still experiencing this kind of violence. And so those specialised services will be available as well to make sure that um, people who need to seek refuge will actually get those supports so they're creating a safety plan, so they're rebuilding their lives, so they're looking at the future for their children uh, and making sure that they're able to be safe and survive this crisis as well. Yeah, it, it's nice to see different types of businesses stepping up to the plate for these different types of causes, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about hotels who are clearly feeling the, the burn right now of COVID-19 and not being able to have people stay um, you know, and, and make any real revenue as a result of that, but they are finding other ways to help support individuals and you know, it's got to be really nice for you just to be able to see the the camaraderie of of different industries coming together to make sure that everyone is taken care of in a time of pandemic. 
That's so true, Jeff. It really is. And, and, you know, thank you to everybody who is stepping up because it's only together and 100% together that we're going to get through this. And so it's, it's really wonderful. I mean, we have post-secondary um, uh, universities stepping up who have facilities that are available. You know, say, say, for example, for healthcare workers, you know, who are scared about going home to their families. Um, and we have hotels. I have one in my community who reached out to me uh, just a few days ago and said that they would be able to offer a whole floor of rooms and, you know, what would be the best purpose for them, for example. And there are lots of communities, lots of businesses um, where people are stepping up and, and pulling together and that's what we need to do and if anybody is concerned about a child or about a woman or about anybody in their home please reach out we have a dedicated line we have victim link which is 24 7 and it's free it's 1-800-563-0808 um, and if you're in in a, a really life-threatening situation please call 911 yeah, I was going to ask that very next thing. You know, when, when someone is sort of in this difficult situation, uh, what should they be aware of? How can they go about seeking help? And you sort of mentioned it right there. Go to, to Victim Link um, and, and 1-800-563-0808. Um, and, and the cool thing also I find about this service in particular, I mean, you mentioned is 24-7, which is obviously critical because anything could happen at any point during a day. So they have to be available at all times. But it's also available in a variety of languages. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we we have the resources there. It's available in lots of different languages. You can also email as well. You can email victimlinkbc at bc211.ca um, because obviously people need different ways of getting in touch with services and resources and finding out how they can be helped and how they can be helped to create a safety plan, um, how they can be helped to find resources to actually leave a dangerous or abusive situation as well. So there are lots of different ways that people are able to get that support to help them create that safety plan for themselves and also for their children if necessary. And uh, just how quickly, like if someone were to, you know, find themselves in a, in a space where they, they feel uncomfortable, they feel unsafe, and they make the call, uh, you know, to Victim Link and, and to, to seek some help to get out of their current situation, how quickly um, does that process take? How quickly is someone able to, to you know, find some refuge um, once they start kind of that process of, of trying to get out? We have those spaces available now. We've done the work. We've made sure that we've got those spaces secure so that we can respond to an emergency. We know that in times of emergency, we know that when people are actually getting away from abusive relationships, that is one of the most dangerous times for them. So we need to make sure the resources are there. And again, I want to thank the sector. You know, they have years and decades of experience in this in this area of work and they're able to um, provide that support service and make sure that people can get that safety and you know BC Housing and the Minister of uh, Municipal Affairs and Housing, Selena Robinson, are doing a fantastic job of making sure that we do have those resources in anticipation of a spike and making sure that we can respond uh, immediately because that's when it's needed. It's a really critical time when people are actually making that move to get away from, from an abusive uh, relationship. Mm -hmm, for sure. Well, Mitzi, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk about what the province is doing to help those who are funding themselves in these domestically difficult situations. Um, just before I let you go, anything else that you want to add here that uh, perhaps we missed? 
nothing that we miss. Make sure that um, people are aware of the number, if you can, 1-800-563-0808. There are lots of resources as well available through the government website um, for people to make sure that they are assessing their own situation, making sure that they can make safe choices for themselves. You know, we're here for you. You do not deserve to be frightened or endangered in your own home. There are, There is help. Please reach out. Thank you so much for that message. Really appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the, the long weekend if you can here coming up. I know we're all stuck inside, but hopefully you have some, some stuff to do and keep yourself busy. Thanks so much for doing this, Mitzi. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your attention, Jeff. Bye. <laughs> bye That was BC's Parliamentary Secretary for Gender Equity, Mitzi Dean. And just to go over that one more time, if you or someone you know is experiencing violence or abuse, you can contact Victim Link BC, 1-800-563-0808. That's 1-800-563-0808. Or you can email victimlinkbc at bc211.ca. That's victimlinkbc at 211 And yeah, those supports are available to help 24-7, multiple languages, as we mentioned. Um, And I'm sure that uh, there are a number of people who are finding themselves in a situation where they might feel stuck. You know, they're uh, dealing with some sort of violence within the home. And uh, when you're all isolated and trying to not go outside and not go to the store and avoid all that unnecessary travel that we've been told to avoid so many times here in the last little while, when you're going through and taking those necessary precautions to make sure you're keeping your health uh, front and center, uh, of course, that can lead to some other difficult challenges as well. And the province is uh, reaching out to try to make sure that those supports are available. So again, one more time, if you or someone you know is experiencing violence or abuse, call 1-800-563-0808. All right, well, let's take a quick break here. Still waiting to see if Carol James, the Minister of Finance here in BC, is going to be coming to the podium soon to talk a little bit about job numbers that we've seen over the past month. So uh, we'll take a quick break here, and hopefully she will be up and ready to rock by the time we're back. So thanks so much for uh, tuning into the Jeff Andrea Show, and we'll be back with more after this. Opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the show here on Thursday the 9th, and thank you so much for tuning in here with me today. Uh, A bit of a quick shift here. So uh, Finance Minister Carol James is currently uh, speaking right now on job numbers here in the province. Uh, So usually where we would take that live from, it's actually not being shown right now. So hopefully I will be able to bring you some of that press conference here later on in the hour. So please stay tuned. I'm going to try to uh, make some adjustments here and, and get some of those comments on for you here to hear on Radio NL at some point in the hour. So don't worry. I haven't forgotten about it. It is going to be coming just uh, probably a little bit later here in the show uh, than uh, right now. So with that in mind, uh, according to the, or sorry, with that in mind, Thompson Rivers University. I was set to, to talk with Matt Milovic a little bit later in the hour, but we'll move him up now. I got him on the phone. So uh, first and foremost, Matt, uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, let's just get into this right here. How is Thompson Rivers University being impacted by COVID-19? Well, I'm sure there are a number of different areas and ways that it is impacting the school, including issues with regards to budgeting. I'm joined on the line now by Vice President of Administration and Finance at TRU, Matt Milovic. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time. Anytime. So let me just start by kind of asking how things are just in a general sense at TRU when it comes to your position. I mean, just just how bizarre are things right now when you're trying to plan ahead uh, for a school year there where a lot of things are up in the air right now? Yeah, I think bizarre is, is, is the right word. Um, 
Yeah, the crystal ball has never been as, as fuzzy as it is right now. Um, I couldn't imagine a more imperfect uh, planning environment. Uh, so the, it, it certainly creates some, some challenges as we try to anticipate uh, what, what COVID is, is, is going to do to us, not only in the spring, summer, but also in the, the fall, winter. Yeah, and I know last year, it was, uh, I believe, April 1st, we had a story here in 2019 just talking about what the, the proposed budget was at that time for TRU. Uh, it was about $233 million. Um, I don't know if you can even tell me what is being tabled right now, or, or are things sort of just changing minute by minute, and, and it's kind of hard to predict exactly what the budget would even look like right now? Yeah, it, it's a real challenge. We uh, we made a, a decision not to uh, table our full budget. Our budget committee of Senate had um, had recommended the budget for approval to the president. This was in early March, uh, and a week later, um, as the uncertainty continued to unfold, uh, we made a decision that we were we were going to go to our board. We were going to show them the work that had been done, what we were anticipating, um, but we asked instead for a provisional budget to give us time to anticipate uh, what was going to happen to our revenues based on uh, enrollments, international students, uh, etc. So right now we're in a provisional uh, budget mode. We initially, when we had done all of our work prior to COVID, we were anticipating somewhere between an 8 and $12 million surplus budget. Uh, and now, um, based on some of our early assumptions, we're, we're, we're around that $6 million deficit position. Wow, so a pretty drastic shift then from what you were expecting just four weeks ago to where we are today. Um, I, I was talking a little bit with the mayor just from the city's perspective about how they're looking at their budget, right? And there's a number of different scenarios that they have that they're sort of looking at, right? There's a scenario A, scenario B, scenario C about what potentially things could look like when it comes to finance. Is the, is the TRU doing the same thing, right, where you're kind of looking ahead and saying, you know, there are so many obviously moving parts here that it's hard to say exactly what things will look like, but maybe you have a a plan A, B, and C in place or, or are working towards those plans anyway? Yeah, that, that's exactly what, what's what's happening. I, I think we'd be foolish not to. Uh, we do know that the budget we put together at the start of March is, is not going to be the budget that we end up with. Um, the extent of, of those changes are really going to depend on on uh, how the, the COVID situation unfolds and, and what it does uh, to enrollments and, and specifically international enrollments. And, and will international students be able to leave their home countries, get their visas, and, and come here and start studying it? And will we actually have in-class uh, uh, learning come come September. There's there's a lot of questions and a, a lot of uncertainty. Um, we're probably not going to get a whole lot of visibility on on um, where we might end up until probably late August, as uh, as we see uh, the movements of students. How challenging is that for you to to go about doing your work? I mean, like you said, you obviously you're you're planning for a number of different scenarios, so you just kind of have to work through it. I mean, there's nothing you can do otherwise. But you know, as you kind of look to what enrollment is going to look like, if you look at you know what are what are international students going to be able to contribute? Are they going to be able to travel at this point in time? I mean, just how difficult is it uh, you know to to look ahead right now when everything sort of is is kind of in the moment for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's impossible to look ahead with any accuracy, and and that's why the scenario exercise is, is so important. And you know, I've I've got to give the the faculty and and staff a, a lot of credit for for how much they've they've done and how much they're they're pulling together to to get us through to the end of the the winter term and get us started for spring summer. And I, I give the students a ton of credit for for being as patient as they had been have been in in a time of of such such uncertainty everywhere. Uh, and you know, not only uncertainty with school, but uncertainty with family and, and health it's uh, it's quite a time 
Uh, Matt, one thing I did want to ask about, too, uh, last year um, there was a $14 million surplus from the fiscal year, um, in, and you were looking at doing a bunch of capital work, and some of that surplus was going to be spent as part of, I believe it was about $34 million that was going to be spent on capital projects in, in the last fiscal fiscal year. So what, what are you looking at right now? I know it's hard to say exactly how things are going to play out, but what is the plan if you were able to go ahead with Plan A in terms of, of capital work? I mean, what, what exactly are we looking at in terms of projects? But would potentially get underway if if things were going to go according to plan, which I, I'm sure, almost sure they won't. Yeah, well, I mean, if things were going to go according to plan, uh, the priority is finishing the nursing and population health building, and we, we will, and it's still uh, on time for substantial completion uh, in this month, which is which is good. Uh, and then there's, there's a whole lot of outfitting that needs to happen over the summer. So that's occurring. Uh, we weren't going to work to let the, the situation stand in the way of that because that building needs to open in September. But we had about uh, $11 million in other capital projects that we were planning to do. And I think we've scaled that back to probably somewhere around $2 million. Um, we've got to reconstruct the road between science and the nursing building and turn that into a pedestrian walkway. Uh, so given that it's already torn up, uh, we view that as a priority. We've got to rebuild a parking lot there. Um, and then there's some moves and renovations that need to occur as a result of uh, sort of the cascading space impacts from nursing and population health. So uh, it's about 20%, perhaps 18% of, of what we would have done. Uh, and the exercise now is really just preserve cash, uh, make sure we've got a war chest to handle whatever comes next. And, and with that in mind, when talking about uh, you know just the rest of the budget, I know that obviously the biggest part of of any place's budget is is uh, wages and benefits, right? So uh, I'm just curious from a staffing perspective, um, you know, are you looking at any major changes that could be coming as a result of this? I'm not asking you to make a prediction, but just in terms of how how the staffing may change as a result of COVID-19. I mean, are you planning for things that that could happen when it comes to just staffing levels maybe being reduced as as a result of this? I mean, I'm just sort of curious what kinds of options are on the table when it comes to the the, the biggest part of the TRU budget, which of course is is uh, wages for employees. Yeah, I know that's that's the the right question, and and right now. Uh, with the universities being declared an essential service and, and our almost our entire uh, workforce working from home, uh, we do know from the province that uh, uh, we have salary continuation commitments until the end of this month, uh, and there's further discussions about how, how much further into the future that will go uh, and what that might mean. Um, so we're, we're looking at, at all of that, and yeah, there's no question that revenue, or sorry, um, uh, labor uh, takes up the, the the biggest part of our, our budgets, um, so we'll we'll see. Um, and it's it's factored into to all of our various planning scenarios. Uh, I think that's about all I have for you for questions right now, Matt. Anything else that uh, you want to throw on the table while I have you, or anything I might have missed that you think uh, people should be aware of? Uh, from the university perspective, uh, you know we're, we're we're here. We're doing our part. We're 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 open. It's business as unusual. Uh, and I guess my parting words of wisdom is for everybody to stay healthy, socially distance yourselves, and wash your hands. And good luck. Awesome. Well, I, I like that term, business as unusual. I like that a lot. Well, thanks so much for doing this, Matt. Really appreciate your time.
No problem. Take care. That was the Vice President of Administration and Finance for Thompson Rivers University, Matt Milovic, uh, talking about what is going on at TRU when it comes to the budget process. Uh, the school is looking at about $252 million in revenue here over this uh, going into next year. So uh, there is quite a bit of money there that is out there, but obviously that's uh, a bit of a, um, a moving target, right, when talking about just how much money any anyone has at this point in time. Uh, what you have today is going to probably look a little bit different come tomorrow, next week, next month and everything is uh, just kind of up in the air. You just got to kind of roll with the punches as they come in, and it's uh, not an easy situation for anyone to deal with, uh, both, of course, as individuals. We're all seeing our budgets impacted here, and that goes the same for uh, big corporations and institutions as well. All right, well, let's take a quick break here, and I'll be up with uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix after this, so please stay tuned. More Jeff Andreas Show will be coming up after this break. to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the show here on Thursday. I am Jeff Andreas, and I really do appreciate you being here. It is, of course, April the 9th, and we are looking at a beautiful weekend and an even better day here today as we here in Kamloops are looking at sunny skies and a high of 20 here on Thursday. Sounds to me like it might be a little bit tough here this weekend to sit inside and abide by all our physical distancing recommendations, of course, that are in place. Uh, we know how important it is during this time that we do stay, uh, you know, away from each other as much as possible, avoid the unnecessary travel, and, um, you know, just do our part to help flatten the curve. And, of course... Like I said, it's Easter weekend. It's a big weekend for a lot of people. And here now to talk a little bit about just how important this weekend potentially is as we look to, uh, you know, help get this COVID-19 situation under control here in British Columbia. I'm joined on the line now by BC Health Minister Adrian Dix. Minister Dix, thank you so much for taking the time here. Good morning, Jeff. So I just want to kind of start off by uh, getting sort of a sense of how things are just going in terms of, of the response right now. I mean, you're giving your daily updates about COVID-19, right, and what's happening and, and uh, you know, obviously monitoring how many people are, are getting sick and coming down with a case on a daily basis. But just uh, from an overall standpoint, I mean, how is British Columbia handling this whole thing? Just what are your thoughts on kind of how these last three weeks have played out so far? Oh, I, I'm very impressed with what British Columbians are doing, whether it's in Kamloops or anywhere else in BC. I'm impressed uh, with the commitment to social distancing. I'm impressed with uh, how we've come together. Um, this morning, uh, for example, uh, I did a joint statement with the Alberta Health Minister, Tyler Shandro, where we said to people, this is not the weekend to travel. Whether you live in BC and go to Alberta for um, for recreation or for shopping or, for, or if you're coming from Alberta to BC, don't travel. And I've been press uh, overall because there's always focus on the few people who aren't following the rules I'm impressed with what people are doing in BC and you see it reflected I think in some of the numbers and we've got to be cautious all the time I think uh, what's happened the last few weeks in Quebec and what we see in other countries tells us that uh, there's still a great deal of risk for everybody but over the last uh, week our hospitalizations, for example, have reduced due to COVID-19, which ensures that our healthcare workers have the means and the resources uh, to deal with cases. And that's, that reflects not the work of, uh, of uh, health ministers or provincial health officers. That reflects the work of people in every community. 
Now, when you're talking about, uh, you know, people not traveling, I mean, I think that's a pretty clear message that I think the majority of British Columbians are taking to heart and are, are listening to, but there are going to be people who are going to, you know, ignore those and, and are going to continue to travel. So just in terms of that um, Alberta and BC travel, because you mentioned, you know, you had some conversations with your counterparts in Alberta. Do you, do you know what that's going to look like for people who are driving around and, and potentially crossing that border? Because, uh, you know, you, it was mentioned at yesterday's well, presser that there was going to be some increased screening at land borders. So I'm just curious what that potentially might look like. Well, I think we've done a couple of things that will have an effect. One that uh, Minister George Heyman, the Minister of the Environment, announced yesterday that we're closing down BC parks. So that's one recreation point. And we're doing what I think has happened effectively, which is uh, asking people not to travel for anything non-essential. We know they're essential workers. There needs to be food on the shelves in Kamloops and everywhere else in my constituency and everywhere else. So there's a bunch of people who have to be out there and traveling. But for everybody else, um, this isn't the time to travel. And this isn't the time to go if you have a second home or a cabin or go fishing on a particular lake uh, on the Easter long weekend. Well, uh, this isn't the week to do that. And I think what we've seen consistently is an overwhelming and positive response from people and and uh, real generosity as well. I mean, um, I'll note uh, in Kamloops uh, the work of uh, local MLAs uh, such as Todd Stone and supportive truckers and others. You know, I think that these are positive things. The letter I wrote uh, with uh, Tyler Shandro was a, was came out of a suggestion from uh, uh, the Liberal, the opposition health critic, uh, Norm Lightning, for example. So I think people are coming together. And uh, what we expect this weekend is whether you're celebrating a, a religious occasion or whether you're, you uh, ordinarily travel for recreation, that this isn't the weekend to do that. And I believe people are responding to that. I'm, I'm very positive about that. There's a, you know, we live in one country, uh, Canada's a country, and people do and, and can travel between places in our country. But uh, this isn't the weekend to do it. And, and how significant do you think this weekend is overall as we look to maintain this flattened curve that BC seems to have been able to, to get to so far at this point, right? It's been about, you know, between 40 and 50 cases per day for the last week or so, which looks like, you know, a pretty good flattening of the curve that we have achieved. But when you look at an Easter long weekend, right, where you're talking about the faith-based celebrations and most of the leaders, I think, are, are making sure their congregations are meeting online. So that's a good thing that they're doing. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are going to want to get together with family for a, for a an Easter Easter dinner or um, like you had mentioned a number of people just wanted to get out and, and do some form of recreation because it is you know that extra day off that people wouldn't normally have um, you know just the fact that it is a long weekend and people have been kind of isolated for some time and I'm sure there's a lot of antsy people who are looking to get up out of their couches and, and get out there um, like how significant do you think this weekend could be just in terms of maintaining the the achievements so far in British Columbia when it comes to flattening that curve I mean I think there's a real potential here over this long weekend to see um, either a, a nice continued consistency, which is what I'm sure you're hoping for, but there's also that potential for a spike here as well. Well, I'm, you know, that's why the Premier met with, I think, 130 uh, religious leaders across BC on Wednesday to talk about some of those very issues. And I, I think we've just had extraordinary res response from faith leaders uh, across BC of all faiths. And I think uh, it's so impressive how they've responded. But yes, this is, um, in many parts of BC, this is expected to be a beautiful weekend. It's the Easter weekend. For some of us, even though spring starts in March, it's kind of the start of the spring-summer season in many, in many places, and D.C. especially, as you get further north. So, you know, this is a, a really important weekend. I think that 
and, and the cost um, is still being felt, I think, uh, from this. We've had uh, a significant uh, number of deaths, most of them in long-term care, and almost all except for two on Vancouver Island in the Vancouver region. But there's a real cost there, and I think um, what we know is that the person you're most likely to transmit COVID-19 to is someone you love, someone you're close to, someone in your family. And so that's all the more reason, I think, for people to want to take action this weekend. And, and I'm, I'm confident that they're going to, but we have to, keep, we have to keep the pressure on. This is unprecedented in my lifetime, absolutely unprecedented. I'm 55. We've never seen anything like this. And uh, so we need to continue to come together so that all the sacrifice people are making camels and everything else, everywhere else, are not lost. Um, uh, one thing, too, that I've been kind of anxiously awaiting, and now it's been a couple of weeks since you guys have done this, you and, and Dr. Henry, uh, when you were doing sort of that modeling and some projections of what things might look like here moving forward, depending on you know how certain things play out. Uh, just wanting to get an update on if that is expected to happen next week. I know it was mentioned as a possibility, and I was just curious, um, while I have you here, if that is, in fact, on the schedule. Yeah, I think it's going to happen uh, the end of next week. Uh, where we're going to say... Um, here's what our modeling was, and here with two more weeks of data is where we see it now. And our modeling, the purpose of our modeling is, uh, you know, there's in some cases provinces have gone out and made projections of the number of people who die, will die, you know, and that's not the purpose of modeling. The purpose of modeling is to say, here's where we're going, here's where we're going if, uh, if we continue to take these measures and if we're able to take a series of measures in, in the public. And here's, here are the resources we need to be available, and here's how we need to move around resources so that should we have a surge of cases in acute care, for example, that we're prepared for that. So that's the purpose of modeling, and what, we're gonna, what we said we'd do is um, bring people up to date, show them how it was, both how it was going and what we see uh, as a possibility in the coming weeks. But it's important to remember it's not predictive, and um, uh, the modeling, uh, all models are wrong, but some models are, are helpful, as Dr. Henry has said, in telling people what you need to do. And uh, the modeling that we did in the past led us to take actions in hospitals, led us to take actions in terms of the population, and very importantly, ensured that uh, we were able to tell people before they went to go on uh, spring break holidays not to go. But does that modeling, when you guys do that exercise, does that sort of help project how long we could be in uh, this current state that we are in terms of having to self-isolate, in terms of having to avoid any non-essential travel? Um, you know, you have said time and time again, multiple times, that April is just not going to be a normal month. So I think we've all kind of gotten that message that, you know, until the end of this month, things are just going to kind of be as they are. But I'm sure a lot of people are looking to May, and I know some provinces have already pretty much said things are going to be shut down uh, through May. I mean, is BC on that path right now or I mean is that I guess what the whole point of that modeling exercise could could be it, it, it is but also uh, I think it's important to know you know things aren't going to change because it's May 1st significantly right we have to and that we're facing this is an illness that doesn't have a vaccine and doesn't have a cure right and uh, people around the world are working on both of those things so it's going to affect our behavior for a long time to come until we have a vaccine until we find a cure or, uh, uh, or an effective treatment from COVID-19 other than the treatments we have already, which is supporting people when they get sick. So, you know, we're going to be into this for a while, uh, into the future. Uh, and But what the modeling can tell us is, okay, what is the effect of certain things and what would be the effect of changing certain things? And it also helps us in, in terms of uh, issues such as elective surgeries. You know, the, since we cancel elective surgeries, I think we've canceled in the range 15,000 surgeries 
and all those people are waiting for those surgeries. So it will tell us how, how we best can use our acute care system to not just help people and prepare for COVID-19, but uh, deal with all the other ailments that people have and, and need our help for. And uh, just on that point, while I have you here, I'll let you go on this one here, Adrian. But just uh, when talking about those canceled surgeries, I believe we're up well over 1,200 here in Kamloops specifically. Um, just what is your message to those people who are, you know, have been waiting quite some time probably for some of these procedures and then have had to have them get pushed off and, put, and be delayed? I know that this is something you have spoken to a few times within your press conferences uh, on a daily basis. But just, you know, what is your message to those individuals who, um, you know, are probably feeling a little bit disappointed that they aren't going to be able to get some of that? That work that they feel they need to, to really live a, a more full and happier life? Look, these aren't things they feel they need. These are things they just need. They, they need. These are medically necessary essential surgeries in the healthcare system. And uh, I, I think about those people every day. And, you know, it's a message really to everybody here. This is why we want to flatten the curve so we can get back to helping people who are dealing with pain, who are dealing with uh, very serious circumstances, be able to live a normal life, and the surgery is intended to do that. So if there are people you know who need surgeries, they're another reason why we need to all take action to uh, flatten the curve this weekend and throughout, uh, throughout April. Well, Minister Dix, I really do want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to come out and speak to us here in Kamloops. Really do appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll find some time to do this again maybe in, a, in another couple of weeks. Well, we'll um, hopefully talk next week. Take next care. W- that was Health Minister for British Columbia, Adrian Dix. Really appreciate him taking some time out of his day. I know he's a pretty busy guy. And, of course, he will be back on our airwaves here later on this afternoon as he and Provincial Health uh, Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry get to uh, present their daily 3 p.m. news conference. Um, yesterday, we saw 45 new cases of COVID-19 here in B.C. And that brought the total confirmed cases across the province to 1,000. 336, which included uh, 130 cases right here in the interior region. Of course, a number of those cases have uh, seen recovered uh, situations, so a lot of people who are a part of that 1,336 figure are now, uh, you know, better and and hopefully are feeling good and, and are as Bonnie Henry has said, once you kind of get through this disease, you, you are a little bit immune for some time. So hopefully that is the case, and that means our population is getting a little bit healthier. But, I mean, 1,336, that's a pretty small number when talking about the entire uh, population here at British Columbia. But we all got to do our part here this weekend. As Minister Dix was saying throughout our conversation there, I think, uh, and maybe this is my opinion more than anybody else's, but I think Easter weekend is really a critical time frame to just make sure that this thing does not, uh, you know, get out of hand more so than it already has because Easter weekend is a time where people want to get together with family. Like I said, it's 20 degrees out here today. It's really tough to sit indoors and not want to go out and and do other activities. Um, It's just going to be a challenging weekend, I think, for a lot of people to abide by these physical distancing rules that are in place, but we have to do our part. We have to keep doing it, and uh, I think hopefully we'll be able to come out on the other side of this uh, looking a little bit better off um, in the end. Um, like, Like Minister Dix again said, May 1st, the calendar is not going to flip, and that's a magic date that all of a sudden means we're allowed to go out and about and do life as we knew it before COVID-19. That's not going to be how it works, but the more we do this now and take the necessary precautions today, the more likely that, uh, you know, as the calendar flips, things might return or slowly get back to some sort of normal function. There's my PSA for you right now. All right, well, let's take a quick break. I'm going to revisit some of the comments from Carol James here earlier in the hour. She was presenting uh, on job figures here in B.C. and how COVID-19 has impacted things throughout the month of March. We'll get into that after this, so please stick around. 
Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for tuning in here with me on Thursday. B.C. Minister of Finance and Deputy Premier Carol James was speaking on job numbers here earlier this morning. According to the federal government, B.C. saw 7.2% unemployment in March. Uh, in February, the, un- the employment rate for the province was 5%. So uh, clearly a bit of a jump of 2.2%. And in total, 132,000 jobs were lost here in B.C. in the month of March. So like I said, Carol James was speaking on this here earlier this morning, and she he says certainly that it is only going to get more challenging as time progresses. This is going to become more challenging. Uh, I think these are very early numbers. Um, as I mentioned, this really covered the, the period between March 15th and March 21st. Uh, and so, as you know, we declared a state of emergency just after uh, that March 15th date. So this is very early in the in the pandemic, and I do believe that we're going to see tougher numbers uh, coming in the next round of, uh, of statistics that come out. Uh, these are difficult times, and, and it is important that we recognize that, and we provide the supports as we're doing through our programs uh, for, for people and businesses who are doing everything they can to, to hang on uh, through these, this crisis. And then uh, Minister James was asked about what percentage of jobs lost in B.C. could be recovered when this whole thing is over. Well, I, as I said, I, I don't have a crystal ball, um, and, and I think, you know, no one um, can really predict when we're going to see that kind of turnaround. I think, as I, I've said, our best uh, efforts are to follow the public health uh, advice that's coming to make sure that we're doing everything we can uh, to flatten the curve. That is important uh, for, for all of us to do, and that's our best economic strategy. I think the numbers across the country uh, are very similar to what we're seeing in British Columbia. Uh, We're seeing a real drop in accommodation and food services. That's hotels, restaurants. Um, We're seeing a drop in wholesale and retail trade. Again, no surprise. And a big drop as well in culture and recreation. So that would include, of course, tourism. That would include uh, movie theater, sporting events, uh, arts and culture. Um, All of those areas we're seeing a, a big drop in as well. Yeah, so, I mean, all the sectors that are in existence when it comes to, um, like she mentioned, restaurants, entertainment, tourism, everything that we're we're involved in in any way, shape, or form is having some sort of impact as a result of COVID-19. There are very few industries out there that are not being impacted by this. Um, And even the ones, I guess, that are on the positive side, whether they're talking about grocery stores and things like that, that are allowed to stay open, I mean, they're they're still feeling the the pinch of of, as a result of this whole thing as well. Um, And then, of course, uh, one more question to uh, get in here before we wrap things up. Uh, When it comes to minimum wage here in BC, it currently sits at $13.85 an hour for general workers, um, but as as of June 1st, that number will swell to $14.60 an hour, and Minister James says that's not going to change. Thank you, uh, Colton. And uh, yes, the minimum wage will be going up. Um, certainly, we recognize that the lowest paid workers also need supports uh, here. And we do understand as well the cash flow uh, challenges, the liquidity challenges that uh, businesses are feeling. That's why, as you know, we've uh, we've made a number of deferrals uh, when it comes to other um, increases that are coming into place or, or taxes and payments that have to come back to the provincial government. So the employer's health tax, as I mentioned, uh, the PST, the sales tax, the carbon tax, all of those payments have been deferred to give that liquidity uh, support to businesses as well. 
Um, so ensuring, as I said, that we're helping people and businesses at the same time. Yeah, so that question was asked by our own uh, Colton Davies. So that's why you heard her thanking Colton there off the top. Uh, so shout out to Colton Davies and all of our NL News team for all of our awesome covers throughout this whole thing. And that's not going to stop. And it's going to continue here through the long weekend. So keep your radios tuned to Radio NL. Uh, we're going to be here to bring you all the latest coverage about COVID-19 and everything else that's happening here in our community. So there, there you go. Uh, that was uh, Premier, Deputy Premier Carol James. She's also the Minister of Finance, of course, speaking to 132,000 jobs lost in the province here in B.C. in the month of March. Well, that's uh, about takes me to the top of the hour here. So uh, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's been listening throughout all of this. Um, I am moving my times here. So, um, yeah, starting on Monday, my show will start beginning at noon. So the Jeff Andrea show will run from noon to one. So now you get three hours of Mike Smith in the morning from nine to 12, and then I'll take over from there. So when you guys are listening to your radio on Monday between nine and 10, and you're thinking, where the heck is that Jeff guy? Just know I'll be on in a little bit later, a little bit later than usual. I'll be on at noon. So don't worry. I haven't gone anywhere. I just moved. That's all. That's all. So please stick around for me on Monday at noon, and I'll bring you uh, more Jeff Andreas show at that time. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me, and of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Have yourself a fantastic long weekend, and I will be back here on Monday at noon.